Matthew 22. Let's turn together to Matthew 22. And let's read back once again at the uh, passage we looked at last week. Verse 34 down to the end, Matthew 22:34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is He? They said to Him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls Him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. Last week we looked at uh, um, a, another one of those traps that uh, was being set by Jesus uh, by the Pharisees. Uh, thinking again, okay, we have the perfect question. Never learning. All different people coming to him from different quarters, trying to set the perfect trap. And uh, Jesus not only walking through unscathed, but in the wake of it, leaving for us incredible teaching about God's Word, about the future, about the present. Jesus taught uh, there, there a few weeks ago, we were looking at, about the future, what relationships will look like in the life to come. He teaches about the here and now, how we are to think about government and paying our taxes as responsible citizens. All of this, which stands us in good stead today, all flowing from the evil that these men tried to perpetrate against Jesus in setting this trap for Him. And that's often how God works. He, many of the New Testament letters were written in response to some controversy, some trouble that was stirred up. And in response, uh, not only did the apostle answer it, but opened up uh, some wonderful, some of the, the greatest teaching about who Jesus is uh, uh, was in response to some controversy. And we saw that in Philippians as we're studying it on Tuesday night as Paul seeks to address what does true humility look like among a congregation. He says, well, let's take Jesus as the greatest example who, though He was God, He humbled Himself. And He became a sacrifice and God exalted Him, giving Him a name above every name. And that's just, that, that, that just flowing out of uh, some controversy that Paul was addressing. And uh, that is true here. This trap that is being set by the Pharisees um, uh, not only tells us about what we saw last week, about what the great commandments were, 
But it opens up for us a, a, a wonderful teaching about who Jesus is and why that matters to us. Of course, that's what we've been seeing throughout the whole of the Gospel of Matthew. It's an unveiling. It's a gradual unveiling of the Son of God. A revelation of who He is. Um, and so it is here. And so in last time, we looked at this question. A good question, uh, but it wasn't asked sincerely, as you remember. Uh, it was asked as a trap. There was lots of laws, 613 laws, and I think any one of us would be interested, if we were Jewish, to say, what is the greatest law? And uh, Jesus, taking and boiling the Ten Commandments down to two, as we saw last week, the law of God can be really broken into two, our relationship to God and our relationship to man. And Jesus boils that down, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that the first one was the great, the first and great commandment. Why? Because everything flows out of that. And we saw that it was in response to God's salvation of His people. And when we start with that, when we start in terms of how God has loved us, in Jesus, the method, the way, the, uh, 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 the, the way it flowed out of God, then we're able to easily uh, uh, respond to loving God. We're able to see the law in a completely different way so that we're able to love God. It, in, keeping the law becomes now instinctive for us. We want to worship a God like that. We don't want to have other gods before Him. We don't, uh, we don't want to uh, uh, have idols in our lives. We don't want to take His name in vain. And we're cut to the heart when we hear someone misusing the name of Jesus. Because we know that that person died for us and gave up his life for us. And so it's like a knife to the heart when we hear the name of Jesus being misused in the workplace or out in society. And where is all of that coming from? It's coming from the Spirit of God working the truth of the Gospel inside of us. So that now the law of God is written upon our hearts in fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. I will write the law on their hearts. And, and so you have this instinctive uh, response, like Zacchaeus. I keep coming back to Zacchaeus, who uh, uh, he, he was a tax collector. Uh, he would rip people off. But then when he came to know the love of Jesus, he started to open up his cupboards and he says, I give half of my goods to the poor and if I've stolen anything, I restore fourfold. And he was doing it with a big smile on his face, no doubt. And Jesus was so happy and joyful because the law was now instinctive in his blood. It, he was responding with joy. That's how you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. You're responding. It's a response to God. And uh, so the law is not, uh, it does not become of no effect, as many people are wont to say, well, the law doesn't have any place in the Christian's life now. No, Paul says in Romans 8, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. 
who walk not according to the flesh, but by the Spirit. So we go back to the law. We don't throw the law out, but we have a new relationship to the law. And we say, how I love your law. It's a reflection of who God is. But Jesus wants to push that a little further here in this question. He's done being questioned. He's going to turn the tables now and ask a question of his own. He's going to pose a kind of a riddle himself and see if they can answer it. Uh, And the riddle is has to do with who is standing before them. Who is in their midst? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So, God is in the midst of that question. God is in the midst of that statement. And what Jesus does now is draw their attention to the fact that that same Lord God is standing in their midst. And to love God is to love Him in Jesus. Because the greatest expression of God's love is the giving of His Son. How did God love us? Not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave His Son as a propitiation for our sins. For God loved the world in this way. That's what the word so means. For God so loved the world, it's not speaking of the intensity of it, although that is true, but in the manner of it, He loved us like so. In that, He gave His only begotten Son. So to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength is to first respond to His gift of love in His Son. How can we love God if if we throw back in His face through unbelief, the highest expression of His love and glory in this world, right? We read there in Hebrews 1, He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the highest expression of God's wisdom. He is the highest expression of God's love. He is the Son of God. And then to say in our hearts, even in the midst of a respectable life, outwardly respectable, to sit and say, that doesn't fit with my life. That doesn't fit with my agenda. That doesn't fit with my worldview or my way of thinking. Is to to not love God. In fact, it is to hate God. It is to call God a liar because God has borne witness concerning His Son. 1 John 5. He says in no uncertain terms, we call God a liar because we have not received the testimony He's given concerning His Son. So at the very heart of our love to God is this. What is our view and response to the gift of His love to us? Some ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe on the name of His only Son. And so, where do we begin? We begin just as they began in the Old Testament, in the law of God, by 
the Exodus. Remember we talked about that last time. God brought His people out. He saved them. He redeemed them. And God now says, here's my law. And the same holds when we, in any first motion toward God, it must be through Jesus. That's why He calls Himself the way. That's why He calls Himself the door. That's why He calls His flesh the veil through which we enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of the Father. It's so important to get that right. If you don't get that right, Christianity is worthless. It's it's of no value to us. And so Jesus becomes that undeniable reality. He gets in our faces. He won't let us pass unless we deal with Him. We can't get by until we come through Him. And that's what He's doing here. When He's talking about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, He again, through this mystery, as it were, through this uh, uh, riddle, as it were, plonks himself right down in the way and say, let's talk for a moment about who is this Lord God that you are to love with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength? Is it just some vague notion? Is it just a general view of God that all people have in their heart by nature? That they all... this 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 sense of God? No. The Bible doesn't speak of this, the, 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 the knowing Him and having a relationship through, with Him just through some general sense that there is a God somewhere. This is eternal life. That you, they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. Paul goes to Athens there in Acts, uh, 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 Acts 17 and he's preaching to these Philosophers and the Stoics, the Epicureans, he's, he's preaching them who you know, believed a wide variety of things and many, many. And he's saying, he, what does he preach? He preaches Jesus Christ to them. And he's willing to receive their intellectual scorn and, and be called all sorts of names because he holds fast to the one way. And so Jesus here, says, let's talk about this a little further, shall we? (laughs) Let's talk about who this Lord God is. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Again, throughout the New Testament, this is something that Jesus asks. Throughout the Gospels, who do men say that I am? And who do you say that I am? What do you think of the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? Whose son is he? In other words, where does he come from? They said to him, the son of David. Now, let's look at that word Christ. We need to look at that word for a moment. It's the Greek word for the Old Testament word for Messiah. The anointed one. He was the one that was expected. He was to be the great prophet of Deuteronomy 18. He was to be the priest uh, uh, of, uh, uh, according to the order of Melchizedek in Psalm 110, whose priesthood would never end. 
He was to be the king of Psalm 110 and many other examples throughout uh, the, uh, the Old Testament. He was to be the anointed prophet, priest, and king who would come and finally deliver the people of God from sin and trouble and sickness and disease and usher in a new age of blessing and wholeness. This is what the Old Testament looked forward to. The great prophet, the great king, who would be unlike David, Solomon, and all those other kings. The great prophet, a greater than Moses. And it's clear that the Jews expected that there would be a great prophet come. And a king. And so this is what the Jesus is asking them. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Where is he going to come from? What will be his origin? They say, the son of David. And they were right. To a point. They put a period there. They said, he's going to be the son of David. And that's really our starting point. He is the son of David. One thing that we need to look at first, and it's a very important point, that we can't overlook. Where Jesus says, He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls Him Lord? Now this is important for us. And every opportunity I get, I like to beat this drum because as God's people, we need a foundation. And the Word of God is our foundation. We believe that the Bible is inspired of God, that it comes from God, that it's not, it doesn't have its origins in the mind of men, as Peter said in his second epistle, that the Word of God does not come from any human origin, but holy men of old spoke as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. In other words, the words that David is writing here and in other places in the Old Testament prophets, they wrote by the Spirit. So the Spirit of God would come upon them and they would begin to write things that sometimes they didn't know what they were writing about. It tells us that even the prophets searched the Scriptures to see the things concerning Christ. They themselves open the Scriptures and say, what is it going to be like? What is He going to be like? What are the times and seasons for these things? And so it was with David. He was writing by the Spirit of God. He, he even says so in 2 Samuel 23, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and His Word was in my tongue. So we have an unequivocal declaration that what we believe is from God. And that we can speak into our culture with the greatest certainty about what humanity is all about. What value and virtue and morality is all about. We can go to the polling booth tomorrow with a sense of how God wants me to do it. You don't need a voice from heaven but according to the dictates of your conscience, informed by the Word of God, you're able to do these things. But 
also you're able not only to speak out that way to the culture, but speak inwardly to your soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. Why? Because He says in His infallible Word that if you confess your sins, you will be forgiven. And you can have hope again and again and again, day after day. He picks you up and He brushes you off and says, start again, start again, start again until the day you die. All based on the authority. That's what Jesus... Jesus... I mean, think of the Son of God. He doesn't go around saying, I think or I say. He says, the Scripture says. He said earlier, you don't know the Scriptures well enough to the, to the Sadducees. These things are, are, are done that the Scripture might be fulfilled. You see, it's to give us confidence in the Word of God. David spoke by the Spirit of God. And we open the Word up. And by that same Spirit that wrote the Word, we understand the Word. We pray that the Spirit would give us illumination, give us the strength to put it into practice in our lives. It's the Spirit's work from beginning to end. So that's important for us. Something we can't skip over. He is David's son. How is it that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord. David was promised by God that the Messiah would come from his body, with his DNA, with his blood, born in his hometown. That's incredible. That was prophesied 500 years before Jesus came. You are... But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are the smallest among all the clans of Judah, from you shall come a ruler of my people. He whose going forth has been from everlasting. That's pretty amazing. You think Jesus could have arranged that? No. Then, the Scriptures talk about that God would raise up someone from the from the, the body of David. We'll sing that in Psalm 89. But the prophets speak of, my servant David will be king over them. This was long after uh, David had died. And yet the name of David is perpetuated in his son. Jesus Christ was a true human being. Even more true than you and I. We're kind of a faint shadow of what a human being ought to be because we're, we live in a fallen world with a fallen nature. Jesus didn't have that. Jesus was truly human, flesh and blood. He cried when He was born. He cried when He was hungry. He had to have His nappy changed. He had to have people pick Him up and carry Him from place to place when He was a baby. He had to be fed and all these things. He was a true human being. And that is, for us, for our salvation, the doctrine of Jesus' humanity is as important as His divinity, as the fact that He is God. Why? Because 
It had to be one of us. It had to be one from our race that paid the penalty for our sin. Not an angel. Not anyone else, but someone from our own race. And also that He could sympathize with us. That He could live the life that we didn't live and then give that life to us as a gift. His humanity is as important as His divinity. And Jesus has no interest in skipping over one at the expense of the other. He, is not, he doesn't have any interest of exalting one at the expense of another. And that's what's happened down through church history. That's what's happened. Some of the false teaching has denied the humanity of Jesus and exalted His divinity. We, people think they're doing a favor to Jesus by doing that. No. It's part of His glory. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. You shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. It's part of His glory to become one of us. The incarnation of the Son of God. Greatest miracle that ever happened. So He is... is Truly, David's son. And in what they said, they were right. But putting a period after that and saying there's no comment afterwards is was the wrong thing. Because he is also David's Lord. How is it that then David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, This is a direct quotation from Psalm 110, perhaps the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And for good reason. We make a lot of Psalm 23, you know, the Lord's my shepherd. It gives us a lot of comfort. But the the early church made a lot of Psalm 110. Because to them, it spoke of who Jesus was and the mission that He came to do. Now this is what... It says, the Lord said to my Lord. Now that's very strange. Strange way of thinking. David's the speaker. And he's using two words for Lord. He's saying, the Lord, Yahweh, which is the name that was given at the burning bush, it means to be. I am that I am. The Hebrew is, and it means to be. And you can hear the word Yahweh in that. So Yahweh, the Lord says to my Lord. What's going on here? He uses another word. Adonai. Which is a word that describes God in His sovereignty. In His supreme rulership. So David is mediating this conversation between Two persons that we know as the Father and the Son. Not two gods. One God in three persons. The mysterious Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, one substance. One glory eternally. But the Father is speaking to the Son. And David is saying, You're my Lord, and you're my Lord. And 
the question that Jesus puts to them, he's saying, look, if, if uh, uh, the Messiah is the son of David, as you have rightly said, and that this is what was expected because it said he would come from Bethlehem, that he would be a baby, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, he will have all the hallmarks of humanity. And you're right to say that. But why does David, as the king of Israel, call him my Lord if he is his son? If he is his descendant? Because in antiquity, the further back you go, the more superior your ancestor was. But David, the king of Israel, is saying, this person who will come from my loins is my Lord. How can that be, Jesus says. And so what you have is a conversation in Psalm 110 between the Father and the Son. David didn't think that the Messiah would just be a descendant. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he realized that the Messiah would be God in human form. He is David's Adonai, supreme ruler, God the Lord. And Jesus is pushing them into a corner. He's trying to bring to a logical conclusion what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as he said to the woman at the well, I who speak to you am he. I am that Lord that you are to Love that you are to worship and obey. That's why when Thomas fell down to worship Jesus, when he rose from the dead, Jesus didn't say, stop that, I'm a mere man. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He received worship from Him. And so what Jesus is saying is that He is both the Son of Man and the Son of God. He's the Son of David. He is a true human being, and yet He is truly God. He is Adonai. And Jesus says, I am the key to understanding this riddle of how it is, which is now shut your mouths, you can't answer it, you don't know. You know why? Because you won't acknowledge the One who is in your midst. But by implication, He's telling them, I am the key to that. And Jesus is not making this up. He's not drawing these conclusions for the first time. Isaiah the prophet also said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There you've got humanity. You can't get any more human than that. A child, a son. But wait a minute. He doesn't put a period there. He says, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. I wonder how Jewish expositors and commentators thought about that. Even today. How do they think about that? How can a son or a baby be the Mighty God? Again, friends, you can't solve that mystery without the person of Jesus Christ who was fully God. He was the Son of David and He was David's Lord. 
at the same time. That's what he is unfolding for you and I today. Which means that when he goes to the cross to make that final sacrifice for sin, he doesn't go simply as a human being. Because no human being, no matter how stainless their life was, could ever atone for the sin of the world. He had to have something in His own person that was infinite. That could bear the weight of the justice and wrath of God against your sin and my sin. And that could only be by the Son of God saying, I will go and I will substitute myself. I will be that person. I will become that child, that baby. And I, in the flesh and blood, will go to that cross and I will die. And my sacrifice, my blood will have the value of God Almighty. And I will be able to bear the judgment of God in a way that these mere mortals cannot. He's David's son. He's David's Lord. And he's lastly David's hope. David lived in a world of sin like we do. Read the Psalms. He lived in a broken world. The nations were raging. The godless were ascending. The righteous were struggling. Justice and judgment had fallen in the streets. Every man was doing what is right in his own eyes. There is no fear of God before them. David was writing a commentary on our own life and situation. And yet David has this hope. In the psalm itself, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Again, surrounded by adversaries, surrounded by enemies, David says, my, The one that will come from my body, who will also be my Lord, will be the sovereign victor. And he will defeat the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people. The great enemy of death. He walked out of the grave 2,000 years ago. And he says, because I live, you will live also. He defeated sin on the cross by crying out, it is finished, the bill is paid, sins are forgiven. He made an open show of the powers of darkness on the cross. And all hell trembled when Jesus died and rose again from the dead. They knew that all was lost. This is what we see. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And now, going on from that, Jesus, as King of kings and Lord of lords, will bring all to a final conclusion one day. At the end of time, when He will bring complete justice to this world. That's a, that's a hope, friends, because our hearts break when we see injustice in our world. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. It breaks our heart to turn on the television. 
But then we say, is there hope? Can we hope? Dare we hope? David dared to hope. Because by the Spirit, and even as a man fallen himself, he who had in his own life committed adultery and had someone had that man put to death, he could hope. His hope was in the mercy and grace of God. The Bible teaches us to hope. Even when we turn on the television or open the newspaper or see the wars and the famine and we see the disease and we see all these things, we say, we are able to come here on a Sunday morning and open the Word of God and say, there is hope for us. Because historically, in space and time, the Son of God and the Son of Man walked out of the grave after coming down from the cross, defeating sin, death, and the powers of darkness and all that was arrayed against us, and He has given us hope in this world. That's why His people, then He goes on in verse 110, Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of Your power. That takes us back to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Your people will offer themselves freely. They, like Jesus, will say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Lord, I have some. Take, take what I have. I have time. I have resources. Lord, help me to give of myself as Jesus gave to me. You see, it's not God standing behind us, guilting us into it, prodding us into it. But now, because the Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father, having defeated... Look at what Hebrews says. It says it better than I can say it. After making purification for sin, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. After making purification of sin. And now, those people offer themselves to this Lord. And they love Him. The one who was in their midst saying, who do you think the Christ is? Whose son is he? Let's get to the bottom of it. Let's clarify things. Let's make things a lot sharper. Let's make things a lot more glorious and penetrating. I who speak to you am he. And as Jesus speaks to us this morning, he says, I who speak to you am he. I who defeated sin and death and now sit at the right hand of the Father. And I will sit there until all enemies, all my enemies are put under my feet. And I will bring justice. And justice will prevail like the noonday sun rising over our land. That's the hope that we have, friends, and we need not despair. But the important thing is this morning that we don't see Jesus like anyone else. He is clearly presenting Himself here as our Savior, as our God, as the One who is calling us. How gentle He is, even with His enemies. But He is calling each one of you today, this morning, to put your confidence and trust in Him as our, as the Son of David, as one of us, and as the Son of God, our Lord. Let's pray.